0: Ryan, if you'd like to bring anybody up, go ahead and do that.
1: I suppose I won't let the full song play. We just want to give a couple people uh, a few minutes to come in, and we've got some uh, some good potential speakers here. So um, I don't know if anyone wants to raise their hand if they want to chip into the conversation. I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, to have a, a few of the folks in here, uh, particularly the ones that I follow. Um, please don't be offended if I don't pull you up, but. Um, there are some folks that I think have a pretty unique inside perspective that we want to be able to take advantage of. So, um, if you, uh, would like to raise your hand, then, uh, then please let me know. I can bring you up and, uh, Doug, just to confirm y'all can hear me just fine, right? Dawson. Okay. Um, so I wanted to do this basically because I just didn't want to write anything and, uh, there's a ton of stuff, uh, that's kind of going on behind the scenes and and the way that these events typically play out is there's a bunch of investors that have zero incentive to talk about, um, what's actually going on behind the scenes for confidentiality reasons for, you know, they don't want to spread FUD for relationship reasons. Um, and frankly, I'm probably in that same boat too, but, um, we're in a pretty unique position. I'm in a pretty unique position since I've been around for a little while. Um, on the one hand, uh, and you know, I've, I've been in the middle of stories like this in the past. Uh, and then maybe most importantly, I have a, uh, I think probably a much better than average understanding, um, of how some of these really, uh, exotic prob- uh, products work that, um, three arrows capital had gotten blown up on just, uh, by virtue of, of having kind of worked at, at DCG and, 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 uh, being very familiar with the grayscale products, having written about them, um, in my annual report uh, at the end of the year, and um, and not exactly highlighting you know, some of the risks here, but talking about you know, the the bad trades uh, that went sideways with uh, the grayscale trust assets for Three Arrows Capital and BlockFi in particular last year, right? So so a lot of what we're seeing is. Uh, in some respects, it's a redux of that with staked ETH and, you know, Luna was slightly different, but, you know, th- three kind of structured distressed trades that went uh, seemingly against three, or- three hours capital right back to back. Um, what I wanted to do tonight is um, not like peddle in rumors and fear mongering, but just talk about a few of the uh, kind of questions that I've had that I've been trying to get answered behind the scenes and um, share what I'd say is like kind of aggregate feedback on um kind of what we know right now what the outstanding questions are um disclaimers here there's still a ton of speculation on this and um i'm hoping that this recording can uh, prompt some corrections quite frankly right so this is um this is almost like the the live equivalent of cunningham's law um i want to be you know kind of careful and um and not saying that say anything that's that's you know fud inducing or, or or you know outright incorrect um but I do think, you know, there there's some things that I'm going to be uh, pretty clear on uh, right from the onset. These are best guesses and these are a lot of whispers and these are a lot of things that have been, you know, directionally confirmed by by some folks that uh, are in the know behind the scenes, but they're not necessarily facts. So, you know, please don't treat them as facts. I'm not um, I'm, I'm not, you know, kind of staking my uh, a, a journalistic reputation or anything like that behind uh, some of what I share. So. um with that said, uh, a few things to kind of go over. So I, I assume that most people that are on this call are familiar with three arrows. Capital, you know, huge, uh, not fun, but kind of family office uh, and and uh, you know, principal you know, capital allocator that um, estimates were between 10 and 20 billion dollars, probably closer to the high end of that in terms of assets under management. Um, the, the one figure uh, that I've heard uh, that we'll kind of come back to in terms of like the total net liabilities here, ba- basically they're wiped out, um, and uh, the whisper number is between like one and one and a half billion um, is the net liability number. Now I don't really have much more detail beyond that. Wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, if it's more than that, or or you know if it's about that. Um, if it's kind of on the money, that's good news. You know, one one reason that it could be more is if um, that one and a half or you know one to one and a half was was an abs- estimate including uh, three arrows like mark to market assets right so like all the other venture portfolio stuff that they had um, that's ultimately going to be used as collateral and probably like unwound at, at discounts um, to other you know interested buyers it might you know just scoop up those uh, whole baskets or you know uh, kind of wholesale uh, positions on the cheap so you know potentially that whole could be greater if you assume that um, Uh, that one to one and a half was, was based on some of the illiquid stuff that they have. That's probably going to be sold at a discount and and then, you know, unwound and ultimately uh, put them, you know, maybe even North of that figure. So it's still quite a bit of money, but, but importantly, I don't think that one and a half billion is, um, is something that will cause uh, really uh, horrible stress on the lenders uh, in the market. So, you know, the last few days, um I've been asking around uh and you've seen this on Twitter, uh you've seen this from other sources, but you know, I, I can also say that you know we've personally um uh, either me personally or or you know as a company, we you know, we we've had a couple of transactions with um with BlockFi, with with you know the, the circle uh guys and and Genesis and um and they're pretty robust right now in terms of their their liquidity. Um, that's at like twenty thousand dollar Bitcoin that's you know with all this like crazy unwinding that happened like from Sunday to Wednesday but we didn't have any problems it was kind of business as usual and um, and you know as as always those teams have been really professional and responsive so um, I I believe, you know, uh, kind of what they're saying in terms of maybe the worst being behind us in in terms of some of the exposure that the big lending desks have, uh, you know, to this particular counterparty. Now, um, of course, none of these guys are going to come right out and say it's three arrows. But uh, I think uh, for those of you that missed it, both uh, BlockFi, um, Zach from BlockFi and Mike Morrow from genesis had threads that were very very similar uh in tone and and substance the last 24 hours basically saying um we don't talk about customer accounts but there was um a large liquidation of you know one of our customers and over the course of doing business from time to time we exercise our discretion and and use risk management practices to take you know certain decisive actions and this was one of those cases and we're not going to comment further but you know this is the, this is the way things are. Um, and between the lines, you know, the educated guess is that, you know, that that's about, yeah three arrows, right? So, um, the U S lenders, kind of Western lenders that had some exposure, I think are relatively, um, uh, unless they just, you know, uh, outright, uh, have, have, uh, not been totally forthcoming, which I doubt. Um, I, I think that risk has probably been, Uh, taken care of, and and potentially there were losses, but nothing that couldn't be absorbed by their working capital and the the broader kind of balance sheets that they have. Um, I know uh, at at least, you know, one of those counterparties uh, and, you know, directionally what their working capital is. um, They're fine. Uh, The one uh, one thing that could have been uh, really tricky is uh, understanding what was the uh, remaining... Uh, GBTC exposure with the Grayscale Trust. So, you know, I don't want to do a whole dissertation on exactly how these trusts are structured. But uh, suffice to say, and, I, and again, I wrote about this in the year-round report, um, the Grayscale Trusts are quasi-ETFs that are really weird in the sense that you can create shares that represent the value of the Bitcoin that goes into the trusts. But then you can't redeem them. You can only sell them in the public markets through this thing called Rule 144, the details of which are not important, but basically it means it's a Hotel California Trust. Assets go in. They don't come out. The only path to liquidity is to sell in the public markets. The problem is there's been a 30% discount to the shares versus the underlying for the last couple of months. Um, and there was an open question as to whether, you know, Three Arrows still own 6% of the trust. Um because that was the last uh, public filing that they had beginning of last year, and that was right before the GBTC premium, um, which had kind of traded a premium for years, flipped to a discount, and that was you know, one of the trades that, that both BlockFi and Three Arrows took uh, took a loss on. The reason that was interesting is if uh, if that position was still live, it could have done two things: one, it could have caused a lot of stress for uh, GBTC. Uh, the the stock in the public market because there was no telling whether people are going to be unwinding that it it looks like Bloomberg took that position down to zero. Um, there have been public filings that suggest that Three Arrows Capital actually sold those shares. So what I've been hearing basically is you know Bloomberg might have taken that number down to zero because that's directionally more accurate than the thirty eight. Eight 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 million. you know, so much for that being lucky for them. Um, that's, that's more accurate uh, to just kind of put it down to zero because that position is being actively unwound as we speak. And, and I think that the bogey is maybe there's still about uh, 20% of that disclosed position that's held by three arrows are still in the process of getting unwound, which would be, you know, maybe about a hundred million dollars worth of, of, GBTC shares, not 6% of the, the $10 billion trust. So, you know, that's good for, you know, public grayscale investors. It's good for, um, a little bit more certainty in the market in terms of how much of that position has been unwound. It does seem like three arrows, uh, was able to kind of sell a big block of that either, you know, over the course of the last 18 months, they sold some of it down or, you know, they had some OTC trades. Frank Shapiro did a, had, had a good scoop over the block on, um, uh, the three arrows guys basically trying to do a block sale and, and a structured transaction uh, around their GBTC position uh, as recently as like 24, 48 hours ago. So, so I, we know that at least some of this position has still been kind of active and in play and something they've been trying to leverage. Um, but it's not like 6% of the trust is going to have to be, you know, market sold tomorrow uh, in, uh, in the public markets or, or on Monday rather. So uh, I think that's one good thing that was de-risk. So you basically have Western lenders with uh, good working capital positions, but you know, still you know, maybe the diciness for those businesses is it really comes down to just are we going to have continued pressure on like the Bitcoin and like Ethereum price just because of macro conditions, but not necessarily like more forced selling from this particular counterparty. Uh, so that's that's all good news. Then uh, we've got uh, kind of the last thing. You know, I I don't know um, how much more like counterparty risk or, or contagion is baked into this, but the the one kind of thing that has been uh, whispered about and and really don't have a good sense for which projects could be in this bucket because this has probably been the most hush hush thing that I've heard so far is how many project treasuries and which projects actually had um, financial relationships or, you know, kind of uh, principal relationships with 3AC. Uh, that's one of the questions that I, I'd love to see answered uh, in the next couple of weeks. And, and that's probably the scariest potential answer uh, for specific projects that may have had significant chunks of their treasury uh, under management at 3AC. And, and maybe those communities just, you know, those uh, those funds don't exist anymore, right? Um, that's that's the kind of really negative uh, kind of downside scenario. But um, that's just conjecture at this point, and uh, I, I, I would imagine that most projects are going to be pretty buttoned up about that because uh, if I'm a, a betting man, uh, some of this will, will go to litigation. It'll have to be worked out over time. So uh, recap the numbers, maybe about 100 million of, of GBTC, uh, maybe about 1.5 billion uh, up, to, up to that in, in kind of net liabilities in terms of you know how underwater 3AC is. And um, relatively good kind of working capital at, at most of the other lenders uh, and some proof that it's been business as usual for, for basically any counterparty that I've talked to that's been transacting with these guys over the course of the week. So all the FUD about like, you know, the sky is falling for all the Western lenders, I, I, I think is probably overbaked right now um, or overdone. But, you know, that's not to say that there couldn't be stress if, if the market just organically dumps again because we, you know, we fall through support. Uh, this is my uh, kind of partial brain dump, but I do better in Q&A sessions anyway, and uh, also want to make sure that if there's anyone else that wants to join the conversation or has you know, interesting things to, to say or you know call me out on for just being totally wrong, then, uh, then they have the opportunity to do so, and we can uh, go on with, uh, with other questions. And before I get into questions, for those that may have joined in the last little bit, I am trying to figure this out just like you, but I'm the only one stupid enough to do a spaces about it because no one else wants to talk about this stuff publicly, and that's something that hopefully will change in the next 24 or 48 hours. Doug, do we have any uh, hands raised or anything like that?
0: Yeah, we've got four folks uh, that have requested. I don't know if any of them are familiar, but we can start bringing them up one by one.
1: Do you want to just slack me the names? So I don't get ambushed? <laughs> yep, yep. Given the sensitivity here. <clears throat> and I'm gonna go with real names. There's a bias. Doug. Yeah, we've got, got no,
0: we've got one real name here, and it's Mr. Eric Turner.
1: Eric, fire away. What's up, Eric? You're speaking, but you're on mute. Yeah,
2: uh, I see a lot of smart people here, so I think the big question is, what does everybody think about the? asset liability mismatch for three hours are they liquid or are they not
1: no i i i think that they're absolutely insolvent i think the um that's the the 1.5 billion in net liabilities essentially being like net what are they uh underwater right i think that's the over under is is one five um and uh, I see Kobe just joined, so uh, I'm I'm very excited for him to raise his hand and just uh, just make the whole end. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in terms of, like, how that 1-5, if that is the number, how that – first of all, I don't think that anyone knows what the number is um, because there's been so many firms that have liquidated their positions and uh, we know that they had a massive um, – massive book and, and, and you know, well over $10 billion in AUM. But how that broke down between um, private and uh, liquid positions and then these kind of structured products like the GBTC product that they were borrowing against, uh, it, it's, it's not at all clear. Um, I think the one thing that I didn't mention, you know, uh, we know that they did have a couple of nested funds or kind of quasi uh, funds. Not exactly sure about the financial relationship, but um, defiance capital – uh, may, you know, m- may be in in significant trouble, and, and based on some of the tweets uh, that we saw from uh, from the founders over at Defiance, uh, unfortunately, you know, certainly seems like the rumors uh, might be true that um, that basically all the gains that they had earned from uh, from Defi in 2020 and 2021 is 2021 uh, were basically appropriated and um, and lost as as you know part of the overextension of uh, of Core Three Arrows.
0: We've got a Wayne Vaughn requesting Ryan. If that's familiar, yes.
1: Hey Ryan, great to see that. Great to see Zach here too. I'd love to. I'd love to have him uh, have the opportunity to comment if he so chooses. Um, but uh, obviously, Zach, you just showed up uh, at a point when. I wrapped up. Uh, one of my punchlines, though, was I've got confidence that the Western lenders, in particular, you guys included, um, have been kind of managing this pretty thoughtfully. And and even if there were losses, uh, no issues about working capital, or you know, at least no concerns on my end based on what I've heard and and you know what we experienced firsthand. So uh, after Wayne asked his question, would love to invite you up if you're interested uh and i I know there's probably a limited amount that you can say but but certainly welcome um so doug why don't you tee him up while wayne uh wayne asks his question first hey ryan i'll give you give you a nice softball before zach um so obviously this uh whole situation with luna and three arrows everything that's happened the past few weeks is a great excuse for regulators to introduce new rules, regulations, and controls over the crypto industry, uh, what kind of things can we do from a self-regulatory standpoint that can help prevent things like this from happening in the future? Um, I see Kristen Smith here from the Blockchain Association, so maybe we can invite her up for for the second part of this answer as well. Um, the uh, you know, in, in my eyes, um, the you know, we've been working on self-regulatory. Products basically, and, and you're trying to build an, an edgar for the, the industry. Basically, since late 2017, during the last bit of euphoria, and we've been working on that pretty much nonstop uh, ever since. I, I do think, though, that disclosures from projects themselves um, are not the answer, and this kind of proves the point. Like the 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 real self-regulation we need or, or the regulation that i think we need to expect and you know if not asked for is uh transparency on the part of the lending firms the custodians and then the large um the material investors and beneficial owners of some of these tokens um because they're the ones that are ultimately uh, going to be dumped dumped right either in a distressed manner um or just you know in a programmatic manner because they have a fiduciary obligation to sell some when their investment goes up hundred X, right? That's a totally reasonable, um, uh, path for a, a venture capital firm that invests early in a project has outsized gains, has LPs on the other side that they need to satisfy, um, and, and, you know, need to take chips off the table for, but it's the lack of, um, understanding in the market for how those tokens actually flow. And then importantly, um, as we start to see more you know, token-based governance, we can argue about whether that's a, a good or bad idea another day. But if we do start to see more token-based governance, you got to know who the voters are and who has the voting power, right? Uh, in in these networks. So uh, my argument has been: don't regulate the peer-to-peer protocols themselves, um, but regulate any centralized player that has you know that is domiciled in you know or does business in you know, certain countries. You know, in, in Europe, in the U.S., maybe we could have some. Uh, cooperation on regulation there. Um, if you have a minimum ownership threshold, you're responsible for disclosures uh, similar to what we see with you know 13, uh, 13G, 13F filings um, and Form 4s in the public markets. And in fact, that's how we knew about you know uh, BlockFi and, and uh, Three Arrows positions in GBTC last year because of those public filings. So I think if we saw more of that, you'd at least be able to track when people were getting overextended and then you could use the blockchain, you know, to, to do a, a bit of the rest. Um, I would love to see more work on that. I think, you know, uh, it's something that we've already had in the back of our minds. I'm sorry, and we've been iterating on. And quite frankly, I don't think it's gonna be a choice. So like people are gonna have to come together and figure out like, you know, what, what are we fucking doing here? Because uh, if, if the answer is nothing, uh, then we're gonna get our, get our clock cleaned. But if, you know, this can be, a catalyst and and you know actually get a little bit of urgency uh on the part of uh some of the kind of major deep pocketed players in the industry to, to come up with some solutions about uh, at least market efficiency and market transparency um i think uh i think we'll be able to you know maybe maybe kick save some of this um the uh the cynic enemy also kind of believes though that the rest of the world is falling apart so you know this might be small potatoes compared to what Congress and, and kind of policymakers are going to have to deal with in macro. Uh, Kristen, are we going to be a scapegoat or, um, you know, how, how how bad has sentiment changed from when we were all dressed up and fancy at the coin center dinner to the party? To like, was that the top? Was that the pico top for our uh, our regulatory positioning? That felt like it. Yeah, no,
3: listen, I, I certainly hope not. And, you know, my, my thoughts performing on this, and um, I figure if I'm still trying to figure out what the heck is going on, then I think most policymakers are a little bit behind where I'm at just because I think about this more hours a day than they do. But um, I, I think going to Wayne's question, I, I don't think there's much we can do from a self regulatory or best practices standpoint that's going to be uh, very satisfactory. I mean, I think the the best case scenario is that some of these isolated incidences, Terra Celsius, turn into talking points for getting legislative action next Congress, and that we stay on that timeline, right? Because we have a bunch of good bills out there. We've got lemus Gillibrand, which is, you know, pretty decent, needs some work, but, but pretty good. We have the Digital Commodity Exchange Act, pretty good. There's Legislation coming together in the Senate Agriculture Committee that's going to put together like a spot regulatory framework that uh, I believe would have disclosures as a as a component to that. So so there's a lot of good moving pieces. It's happening in both chambers of Congress. It's happening <laughs> with both parties involved. Like everything is in a nice spot, and so you know if we can keep that work going, I think that. You know, as you were saying, Ryan, these events are are provide a little bit of sense of urgency that they need to act quickly. Um, What we don't want to happen is for things to get much, much worse for um, you know consumers and retail investors to you know lose all of their investments that they thought they had or something like that, right? And that's when Congress starts to act really quickly. So I think I think hopefully we'll be in a good spot where this will lead to a good regulatory outcome via new legislation, right? I think the regulators have done most everything they can from a regulatory standpoint today within the authority they have. Now what this does do, I think, is this puts a whole lot of enforcement attention on some yeah. of the sort of problem areas. And, you know, there's two ways to look at that. Like one, that's bad, right? Cause it's going to mean a bunch of bad headlines, but two, like, we kind of got to weed out some of this bad stuff. And so I would rather have <laughs> the enforcement focused on the actual, you know, more reckless actors and not, you know, the good the good guys that are just trying to do the thing.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's uh, – and, and I, I wrote about this and I kind of spoke about this earlier this week. But the um, – if the SEC wasn't intentionally stonewalling a spot ETF, we wouldn't have – uh, Six billion dollars of, of investment funds underwater, and we wouldn't have uh, a, a couple of the the kind of big losses on the structured products that uh, that the uh, big lending desks had. Uh, three errors included. Zach, uh, you were at least partially on the on the wrong side of that trade, but kind of uh, I think liquidated that and kind of managed risk around that last year, and um, and obviously you know made money on the front end of it when it was, when GBTC was still at a premium, but um, the uh, the 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 big question right now uh, I'll kind of leave open ended to you I don't know what to ask you uh, but maybe the starting point is like what can you tell us um, and like what 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 are you able to communicate I, I, I appreciate you coming on I think everyone else does as well
0: yeah hey everybody um happy to be here this is actually the first time I've ever hopped on a uh, Twitter spaces I was um I was doing my you know nighttime Twitter reading and uh, logged in didn't I totally didn't realize that uh, when I logged in, you would see me and ask me to speak. <laughs> but <laughs> all, look, all of that all of that being said, um, I think a couple things. So look, just in the last couple minutes since I've been listening, I, I could not agree more with uh, a lot of the stuff that Kristen said. Um, I think that I, I would want to say that, um, I also see that this is being recorded, but look, I would want to say that uh, for anybody affected negatively by Three Arrows or uh, Celsius or Babel, um, I, you know, I, I feel bad for them. Uh, obviously, these are not good things for this space. I absolutely love this space and believe wholeheartedly in uh, the potential of it. Um, BlockFi, uh, you know, Ryan, I... I noticed because someone on our team mentioned it uh, had a very busy week. We have processed every withdrawal that's come onto our platform and we're going to continue to do that. Um, and I'm excited. The team is excited and doing a phenomenal job burning the candle on both ends right now. Cause everything is very busy for obvious reasons uh, to get us, you know, help be a part of, um, getting to the other side of this cycle and yep. the space is going to be stronger the good companies are going to be stronger the regulation is going to get figured out and you know cryptocurrency, market cap, TAM whatever you want to call it is going to get much much bigger uh, in the future
1: Zach, I think uh, you guys did a great job uh, communicating directly. Um, I, I think both. I think you had the first thread and then uh, Mike Moore of Genesis had something similar. Uh, they were both, I think, really well communicated. Um, and that's obviously confidence inspiring up to a point, but but people are just freaked right now in general going risk off, particularly with like the structured crypto lending markets. Um, just given all of the unknown Unknowns and you know some of the known unknowns, but the the unknown unknowns I think are the, the things that people are really losing sleep over. Um, aside from just communications, like how, how are you guys firming up uh, working capital and and trying to build like a a really robust balance sheet against this to make sure you not that you um, I mean nothing is ever guaranteed, right? Uh, if if the markets continue to spiral out of control, but How how do you just kind of shore up the confidence element of it? If the markets go down, that's one thing. Then everybody's working capital goes down on the lending side. But um, like, how how do you basically prove resilience? I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, is this something where you're able to be uh, more public with your reserve requirements and kind of working capital position just to quell those fears? Or um, what what do you think? can be done right now and then you know do, do you think that there's a solution for this from a self-regulatory standpoint going forward my thesis is that this is not going to be an option soon um so is there something you know you guys and, and genesis and, and some of the other western lenders could do to get ahead of this
0: yeah a uh, great question i'm, I'm going to take this one ryan and then uh and then i'm and then i'll hop off read a little bit and and get some sleep but um I, my, my guess right now would be that uh, a self-regulatory path is, is not a particularly viable option. And in terms of the instilling confidence question, look, there's, there's, there's one part of that for a business like BlockFi that's really simple. You process every withdrawal just like you always do. Um, there's another part of that that is uh, your question about you know how do you instill confidence from a capital perspective, uh, and then there's communication, and we're focused on all fronts.
1: Fair enough. Um, well, Zach, I appreciate it. I know you guys had a long week, and uh, and you know you got to be careful with with uh, exactly you know what you're saying, especially late on a Friday after your sleep deprived. Uh, it, uh, i think it is helpful having you in here and uh and and just hearing straight from the horse's mouth someone that's kind of in the trenches is there anything else before we let you go um that uh that, that people should be keeping an eye on in terms of uh kind of just maybe not with other lenders or, or kind of speculating on on who might be having stress from a liquidity standpoint but are there other price levels in particular where you know you think that we we'd have Maybe more liquidity stress uh, if we have like another leg down. Is it 10? Is it 20? percent Like when? When? When do you think that there's potentially more risk baked into the system?
0: Uh, I mean, look. Look. Sh- short answer. Short answer. No. Okay. No. Not. Not. Not in the way BlockFi manages risk, at least. But. All right.
1: Well, uh, thanks for the color, and uh, we'll let you get some sleep thanks uh frank you've been doing good work here and uh you graced us with your presence i don't know if you wanted to speak uh and and compare notes anything that uh, that i may have missed or overlooked but um i think you had the uh the story today on three arrows trying to sell that gbtc position which is how we know that they still had it up through 48 hours ago and uh, maybe before you got on, I talked about the the number uh, of shares that has let to yet to be sold, probably around 100 million. But I don't think that's coming straight from 3AC. That's coming from another third party that that they must have done a block transaction with OTC. That's that's managing that unwind. Any other color there? Or, yeah. Um, you know, um, things that you're hearing.
4: Can you hear me all right? Yep. Um, so basically, what's what's interesting is. They've been hitting up everyone, um, trading desks, um, token projects. The story that you're referring to um, specifically was on a a structured product that would allow them or help them help counterparties um, profit from a GBTC arbitrage. So this deck that they sent out started circulating only um, a few days before the blow up. So a lot of folks that I talked to speculated that they kind of knew that the merry-go-round was coming to an end. So they, you know, potentially figured they could win it all back in in one trade. The other thing that they were hitting up (coughs) token projects about um, in the days before um, the liquidation across all those venues was effectively pitching um, several different – token projects on having them take on their entire treasury to do treasury management for these projects. So they've – and the entire treasury. So there, there's projects that I've talked to that, you know, were – they were being pitched on having them send three arrows, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of of, of their treasuries' um, tokens, which is pretty um, – I mean, it's pretty phenomenal, given what what happened um, over the course of this past week. Um, and then they also were pitching them on, on lending them Bitcoin and ETH. So, you know, rates have been increasing, given the, the Celsius meltdown, um, in terms of the rates that lenders are, are charging more um, to, to lend out cash. And that's a whole different topic, which... Uh, trading desk are talking to me about but the the one thing that 3R um, was doing in the days before the their blow up was saying that we will, you know, if you give us bitcoin, uh, we'll give you 3%, if you give us eth, we'll give you 3%, et cetera. so it, it was it was clear that they were you know, made a valiant effort over uh since let's say like you know june uh five to get as much capital into their firm as possible and their affiliated firms and this is part of the problem with crypto right now is no one understands the scope and breadth of any of the companies that operate in this market Frieros, um celsius um any firm and there's a reason why in traditional finance you have Distinctions and separations and firewalls between these functionalities, because it mitigates risk. You don't have an exchange that owns a broker that owns a retail broker that owns an OTC desk that owns a prime broker. It just doesn't exist in crypto. I mean, all these firms do the same thing. Um, and so, yeah. So, Three Arrows had this affiliated OTC business where they, uh, you know, did structured products. They did they did trading and. Um, through that vehicle, they were trying to um, effectively uh, shore up their overall balance sheet, and it, it's it's it, it's um, amazing to think about the, the the further damage that could have been done if they were successful in wooing uh, those potential
1: counterparties. Yeah, have you, Frank? Have you heard anything? And I see Rob uh, last year joined. Maybe he just dropped off again. Uh, so. Uh, we'll see if he comes back. But uh, if he does come back, uh, Doug, you can see if he wants to come up and maybe talk about the uh, the DeFi lending protocols and and, and some of the stress that might might be there. Um, Frank, have you heard uh, anything more specific about uh, Treasuries, different token three projects that we're working with Three AC? I and- haven't. I,
4: as you can imagine, only the ones that did not, uh, you know. Send their tokens willingly to Three Arrows. Were the one are the ones that have talked to me, um, because clearly there'd be quite a headline um, risk to any any firm that might have have done that. But yeah, the, the it's it's interesting because it's it's the terms of some of these deals are also really bad. So it's it's been funny to hear the stories of these people that have been approached by Three yeah. Arrows um, because. You know, they're scratching their heads at this point and thinking, you know, they you would have thought if these guys really wanted to shore things up, they would have at least given favorable terms. Um, and, of course, there's further speculation that, um, you know, this was somewhat nefarious, like they, they, they just kind of wanted to kick the can down the road to an extent. Now, that, you know, is up to people to decide. I'm not going to pontificate on, on, on the intentions, but this is... Reality of the situation of what has been happening um, and now we have to focus on where we go next right I think counterparty um, risk management is a topic that a lot of people um, that have been coming on my show and that I've been talking to across telegram and signal have, have been saying is uh, everybody you know to Joe Wisenthal tweet earlier these guys were supposed to be the smartest guys in the room so, Maybe, you know, you turn a blind eye to certain things. How how could how could everyone, um, not a single you know, risk manager or um, you know, trading desk have thought maybe we're we're, we're we're lending too much to these guys, or putting on too much risk, or not examining the um, parameters of the loans that we're giving out to these folks enough? And now I think, and now I think that's certainly going to happen. And You've already had institutional lenders across the market pull back on loans dating back to 2018, uh, 2019 that I've heard of. So it's happening, and that's going to drive liquidity, and that's going to result in more volatility, and at least the, 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 the near to medium term.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, smartest guys in the room, uh, that always ends well. Uh, looking, you know, if you get three. Uh, yeah, three structured trades of that size wrong and wrong. Well. I don't think you are necessarily one of the smartest guys in the world. But they got Luna colossally wrong. They got uh, GBTC and uh, and that trade colossally wrong. I mean, uh, yeah, know, but 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 so did everybody. I mean, so did. I mean,
4: no. When the music's no, expli- when the music's no, playing. When the music's playing, they, 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 got they it were dance. underwater.
1: They were underwater on six percent of GBTC. They were borrowing against the shares that they created to to lever up long more uh, to basically yield farm GBTC uh, when that premium was still a thing. And then it turned on them. They shit the bed on that one. And then they had Luna for half a billion dollars. And then they had uh, the wash on staked ETH. So like over three on some colossal. Oh, fair enough.
4: It's fair enough. Yeah. You know. No, I, I meant Lunas.
1: Look, man. I get what you're saying. Look, man. I don't care. Like it's pretty mid if you can get into the ten billion dollar range and um, have <laughs> and then, and then zero uh, after that. So you're not going to get me to back off of that one. But um, uh, Frank, I appreciate you. You're doing great work as always. Yeah, thank um, you. No worries. Uh, I love you guys. But this
4: is crazy. Four thousand people, Brian. Uh, and you know, I, I uh, but no uh, Twitter I, I,
1: verified. I, I, I'm on feel, with a bunch of oh, I feel verified folks. Oh come on! Good. I can.
4: You don't have a verification? I can. I can help no,
1: you. No, no. I. I, I, I got your back. I, well, listen. I tweet, I tweet bad words, uh, but Frank. I'll, I'll
4: okay. tell you. I gotta give. I, I find it funny um, that Zach, <laughs> poor guy, just came into the thing not knowing that he'd be seen. This is actually a functionality I've. I've talked to Twitter about implementing, which is. Um, for for blue checks and large accounts that you can enter these things with incognito, poor yeah, guy. The, I mean, just completely taken, <laughs>
1: taken off guard. Where's where's the fun in that? Where's the fun? Yeah. Right. Oh, he, All right, he, thanks, he, he was, Ryan. I think was and, and, uh, it, it was great. It is great to hear from you. It's great to hear from Zach. We have yes. one more uh, speaker at least. Frank, thanks for joining. Um, Cheers. Thank Rob, you, Rob. Uh, Rob Leshner from Compound uh, is here. Um, Rob, I'm not going to ask you to speculate on like the centralized lending protocols. But um, what do you think um, the state of health of the DeFi protocols uh, are? Like, you know, just given all the market stress and and, some liquidity issues, some of these like pools are getting out of balance and curve. Um, Can you just kind of give us a breakdown for some of the washout risks that exists and the things that we can see on chain, but people might not necessarily be paying attention to or, or as familiar with how to spot the risks?
2: Yeah, well, you know, first off, thanks for having me. Um, You know, this is a great conversation. The most important thing to understand is that everything that's happening in DeFi is radically transparent. And you can ask me questions, but then you can go, you know, you can second guess them and you can gather the data yourself. And, you know, this is incredibly important um, because it's a different type of market structure than you know, a lot of folks are used to. And 3AC blowing up is a function of them operating in a market structure that's existed for most hedge funds in most businesses on Wall Street for decades now that didn't benefit from the transparency and the autonomy of DeFi applications and markets running on-chain. So in terms of the state of DeFi right now, um, you know, In terms of lending protocols, you know, so you you have a couple major lending protocols that um, 3AC and Celsius, you know, are active users of and borrowing heavily from, Um, mostly, you know, MakerDAO, Compound, and Aave. All three of these are transparently incredibly healthy right now. So, you know, all three of these have experienced liquidations due to market price changes over the last couple of days and have held up incredibly well. Um you know, unlike the last or the first, you know, major stress tests, um, when the markets were in calamity, you know, in, um, 2020, for instance, you know, there's no doubt that these protocols are strong as hell, um, have suffered no losses, so to speak. And, you know, you can actively monitor them in real time. I mean, a lot of people on Twitter are posting the addresses of, you know, folks like 3AC and Celsius monitoring their account health. Um, And so I would say right now, you know, the lending protocols are incredibly robust. And in a lot of ways, this is a victory of DeFi 1.0. In terms of on-chain, you know, pools of assets, um, you know, STF, um, you know, other things that you can observe in curve pools, you know, prices are a little bit out of whack. Um, There's not as much liquidity for, you know, state Ether as there used to be, but it's still robust enough that... 3AC was able to exit their position that you know any normal user can exit their position um you know you can you know have enough liquidity for pretty much anyone in the world that's not let's say celsius <laughs> um and so i i think in terms of just like the depth of liquidity for most of these assets it's still incredibly strong um i think over time you know what i hope the conversation shifts to is that DeFi can prevent the root cause of the failure of Celsius and the failure of 3AC. And the root cause of the failure of both is opacity. And it is having no ability to judge the health of those actors or their books or balance sheets at all. You know, I got excited about crypto and excited about DeFi because I began my career on Wall Street in 2007 right as everything began blowing up. And everything began blowing up because it was a crisis of confidence and liquidity. No one knew the state of anyone else's balance sheet. Nobody knew what anyone else was holding, and everyone stopped trading with each other because there was fears and there was rumors. And it's the exact same thing to a T with both Celsius and 3AC. You know, nobody has the information. You know, we have a you know, Twitter spaces right now, and the title of it is Fact or FUD because it's hard to separate Fact and FUD. And this is because all of those actors have their own ledger. They know what they're holding. No one else does. An open ledger that's shared by every market participant, like DeFi running on Compound, is the exact opposite. You're not holding your own cards. Everybody's using the same shared system. There's accountability and there's transparency. And when we move to defi over time it's going to prevent the next celsius and it's going to pre- prevent the next 3ac but the reason they blew up is because while they were using crypto assets their business models were still extremely archaic and we're going to continue to see celsius and 3ac blowups in perpetuity for businesses that are run the same way and you know i think this is hopefully an incredible turning point for you know the crypto community to begin to like finally appreciate the power of the technology that we're all working in and actually use crypto to change business models, not just do the same exact error prone, opaque, fear prone business model that, you know, a closed book, you know, platform like Celsius or a closed book head fund like 3AC has been using. So I'm actually really excited about the long term benefits of this for the space and you know, I hope that everyone can learn from this event and grow from it.
1: I, I think that's uh, good and aspirational. Um, but, Rob, I think, you know, realistically speaking, um, before you hopped on, I was talking to Kristen about uh, regulating the edges, particularly the, um, the, the custodians, you know, or, or anyone that's kind of like, you know, managing the tokens on, on behalf of customers. If, if it's an exchange or a hosted wallet or, you know, a lender, Some type of proof of reserves um, on on kind of the one hand and then also like understanding like the the major beneficial owners. Right. So um, even if you can mix wallets, if you're a large centralized holder of of, uh, cryptocurrencies and you're based in the U.S. or you're based in Europe, you physically live there if there were some uh, just basic disclosures requirements around holdings and, and how they're they're changing over time, like you have with 13Fs or, you know, kind of form fours in the, in the public markets, that seems like it would be a pretty logical um, Do you think that's something that, I mean, you, you've dealt with, with this and, and just trying to run a DeFi project, but also make sure that it's not being used like in Iran and, you know, and, and, and you're, you're trying to basically... Um, think about how the community, the protocol itself could self-regulate a bit, so still be open but not, you know, get any of the early market participants in trouble. Um, what, what's the balance here, right? Because I, I think I agree with you that the protocols themselves shouldn't be regulated. We should try to do that at the edges. But what, what would um, help? Because even with Compound, you're going to have central parties that can have, you know, a major impact on the day-to-day health of the network and, and the, the health of that on-chain order book, even if it is on-chain.
2: Yeah, I I don't have, you know, all the answers, you know, for you. I think, you know, having disclosure requirements is great for some market participants, um, but it's not going to cover market participants in foreign countries. You know, it's not going to necessarily change really anything, um, in my opinion. Like, you still could have 3AC, which is a Singapore-based hedge fund, doing exactly what they were doing. Um, I don't know if the disclosure requirement is going to prevent the next 3AC, right? I think, you know...
1: I think you I think you chip away at it, though, right? You know, I, I think more often than not, a, 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 an entity gets to the size of, like, 3AC, and they're going to be on someone's radar to register, um, and, and uh, you know, I'd imagine, I don't know, um, maybe this is a pipe dream, but <clears throat> one way out of this would be if you had uh, kind of the U.S. and, and maybe some of the, the European regulators who are, are relatively aligned on some of this um, just... Say, all right, if you're in our country and you're operating a fund of this size or you're, you're in our country and you're a regulated money transmitter or a custodian, here are the requirements for you know, reporting token holding so that we have at least some um, standards around market transparency, right? Because you're not necessarily going to get that in peer-to-peer networks, but you can get it at the edges. And even if that's 60% of the market, that's better than zero.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously – incrementally beneficial but again i don't think that would change you know what occurred with 3ac everybody knew that they were a massive firm with a lot of surface area right and you know having those types of you know additional you know uh steps taken at the edges still would not have given anybody a clear picture of what 3ac's risks were what their books were and they still would have been able to borrow from everybody with a pulse, which is what they did. And the reason why things went awry is because nobody was able to get the full picture of 3 acs book. Nobody knew how bad it was. Nobody, you know, was able to, you know, check that they weren't pledging the same, you know, private market collateral <laughs> to seven different firms to borrow with it. Nobody nobody had any insight into You know, the health of 3IC, yes, they were large. Everyone knew that ahead of time. You know, knowing that they have a lot of positions, you know, at three custodians, I'm just making this up, let's just say at Anchorage and Coinbase Custody and, you know, Fireblocks, I don't think would have changed anything really because everybody knows they had a huge book, but nobody knew the solvency of it or the liquidity of it. And that's the root cause here. So if you want to see, you know, not just small incremental improvements, you know, First, I think we have to accept that there can be a better and a different market structure than we're used to. And I think that's a huge opportunity for regulators and legislators. Instead of trying to, you know, operate it in an old market structure, like, you know, adding disclosure requirements, looking at the new technology like DeFi and saying, hey, this can be a radically different and radically better, not just incremental improvement, but a step function improvement to market structure. And- you know, I think when we start having that conversation, good things will happen. And, you know, this will not be the last time that, you know, there's a disaster in our space, but, you know, it can be, you know, hopefully one of the last times where, you know, it's because they're doing things the same way that every hedge fund and bank on wall street has been operating.
1: Rob, appreciate you hopping in here. Um, And, uh, you know, I I know uh, you're probably just in to listen, uh, but then I sniped you from the audience. So so thanks for the quick (laughs) that. And and I I, I really did want to get that perspective in because, you know, we've got um, a lot of kind of centralized players uh, that have been, you know, uh, the talk of the last week. But we had, you know, obviously Luna just a a month ago. And um, and then we've got some kind of stress with state teeth and some of the curve pools and potentially now babble as, as you mentioned. So it's, it's, it's kind of systemic just based on the the market action. Um, this is a a really good, uh, you know, yin to the three arrows yang. Um, and, uh, hopefully uh, things stabilize from here and, uh, we don't, we don't have too many people that uh, get liquidated and, you know, lose, lose a shit ton of money. Thanks for the perspective. I agree. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, so we're getting to the top of the hour here. Um, I I will hang out for a little bit and have um, you know, time to answer a few more questions. If uh, if anyone else wants to um, to pop in with a question, can you please tweet it either at me or Masari, at Tubit Idiot or at Masari Crypto, and Doug can help curate anything that he's seen that's come through. Just given the sensitive nature um, of uh, of you know kind of what we've seen the last uh, couple of weeks, I don't want to take uh, questions from people that I don't already know, uh, which is why I've just been inviting people kind of as they uh, come in. And if I've invited someone and they haven't taken a the stage, um, then, um, you know, that's their prerogative because it's late at night and they might be doing other stuff. So appreciate everybody that tuned in tonight. And i uh, give Doug a couple minutes here to dig through if there are any questions. Um, but... Um, while he is pulling that up, I will say for those that haven't read it, uh, I did cover a lot of this in, uh, in the annual report that we published at Masari. It's free. So if you just uh, look up the 2022 theses uh, on Masari, we, uh, we, we cover a few of these. Uh, the grayscale issues, the lending markets, um, kind of DeFi lending, uh, some, of the, um, some of the potential, you know, issues that we could see with leverage. So um, I, I certainly don't think, I don't think that I predicted anything as, as uh, even remotely close to this um, in terms of unwinding. But, um, but, but there is some good stuff there if you're, if you're looking to learn about some of the structural issues we're talking about tonight. Um, and then lastly, I'd be remiss. Uh, I'm working hard. Our team's working hard. Dougie's working hard. Uh, it's 11 p.m. on a Friday. So if you're not already subscribed, $30 a month, Masari Pro. Get your ass on the site, masari.io/slash pro, or better yet, buy a main net ticket and get pro. And we'll see you in September in New York for one bundled rate. Dougie, any questions come through, or am I off the hook?
0: You're off the hook. Negative.
1: Negative. Okay. Well, um, appreciate everyone coming in here. We'll keep it to a nice tight hour because I know we start to lose people at the top of the hour. Um, I uh, am going to sign off for the weekend. So uh, thanks very much, and stay safe out there. Wear a helmet. We're all going to die someday, just not tomorrow.
2: GN, everybody. GN.